you're here. Welcome to virtual reality, or VR. Let's get started. Welcome to the Vivecast, the podcast completely dedicated to covering the HTC Vive. We will be covering all the Vive experiences, all the Vive games, and what we're looking forward to for new Vive games and new Vive experiences. So sit back and relax. You are now tuned in to the Vivecast. Welcome to the Vivecast. This is episode 10 of the Vivecast. And this week, we do have a special treat for Vivecast listeners. So far, you guys have only heard my voice on the Vivecast. We've only had one single voice on the Vivecast. And today, we're going to try something a little bit different. So later in the show, I'm going to have an interview with a fellow Vive owner, a fellow Redditor, and a Vivecast listener. He reached out to me about a situation, and I ended up putting him on the Vivecast with an interview. So that's what we have coming up later. So definitely stay tuned for that. Right now, though, we're going to get into a few news stories before we get into that interview. Okay, so the first story that I want to talk about is a picture has appeared on Reddit where a Vive owner has shown off a brand new 3-in-1 cable for the HTC Vive. Now, what's the big deal about the 3-in-1 cable? Well, this is a completely new 3-in-1 cable that is considerably slimmer. It has a section on the top of it where it breaks out into the HDMI, it breaks out into the power, and it breaks out into the USB plugs, but the actual cable itself is very thin and has a different cord on it, and the cord kind of looks like a vacuum cleaner type cord, more of an anti-tangle type cord, and this really exploded on Reddit temporarily, A lot of people in the beginning were thinking, this is fake. It's photoshopped, and there was all this controversy about the picture being fake. But apparently, the person that posted the picture originally also did a YouTube video showing the cable. I didn't actually click on that. But apparently, this is a real cable, and you can possibly get this cable from HTC. Now, here's the problem. There's no guarantee which cable you're going to get sent. This person ended up getting this new slimmer cable, but other people are receiving 3-in-1 cables and they're getting the old one. So right now it's kind of a situation where you kind of have to uh, say, well, you know, eventually we should be able to specifically order this slimmer cable And I think it could be really significant, really, because how many times do you get wrapped up and tangled in that cord? And it doesn't seem to be very anti-tangle at all. I know there's better technology out there for making a cord 
that is unlikely to get all tangled up. So definitely looking forward to a slimmer three-in-one cable. All right, another story I wanted to get to is, now this is in relation to PlayStation VR, which I know there's some people out there that might wonder, why are you talking about PlayStation VR on the Vivecast? I thought this was the Vivecast. What is this Oculus talk, PlayStation VR talk, HoloLens, blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is, I like to kind of cover a little bit of everything, but this is the Vivecast. When I'm doing deep dives, I'm doing deep dives on Vive games, and I'm mostly going to be talking about Vive stuff. But when we're in the news, if there is a story about PlayStation VR or Oculus or Magic Leap or whatever that is of serious interest, I do want to cover that. And this one is interesting because... What happened was Star Trek Bridge Crew is coming to the PlayStation VR and a release date was announced of November 29th. And actually, Star Trek Bridge Crew is coming to Steam and it's coming to Oculus. I believe it's coming to all three headsets all on the same day of November 29th. So why am I talking about the PlayStation VR version? And the reason I'm talking about it is because I found out that the retail price for this game is 60 bucks. I'm not sure what it's going to cost on Steam, but supposedly the retail price for Star Trek Bridge Crew for PSVR is $59.99. Now, you might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Most console games, big time console games, $59.99. I mean, that's the normal thing. And big-time PC games are $59.99, usually when they first hit. At least the big, big PC games, like the new Doom and stuff like that. So, what's the big deal about this being $60? Well, the thing is, I don't know. Me, personally, my take is most of the VR games that you see out there Most of them are relatively short experiences, and a lot of them are short because the developer that is making the game, usually it's their first attempt at a legitimate VR game. And just making a VR game in general and just coming up with the concepts and the way it's all going to work and to put it all together, it does make sense that you might have a shorter game Because you're just kind of getting your toes wet and you're kind of getting a feel for how to make a VR game. So am I to believe that Star Trek Bridge Crew is this really significant investment from Ubisoft into VR development? I mean, are they spending millions upon millions to make a groundbreaking VR game? Or... Are they simply trying to take advantage of the potential enthusiasm for a virtual reality-based Star Trek game that has multiplayer? I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying that the game cannot be worth 60 bucks, but I'm just saying that most of the VR experiences that we're getting, they're, they're typically shorter and they're not like a full course meal type of game that you would expect to be 
60 bucks. So it's going to be super interesting to see if Star Trek Bridge Crew is really this super deep game. So, you know, there is that. And the release date is November 29th, which is pretty late. But, you know, that's the way it is. All right, another news story I want to get to. Now, this one is one that I'm really excited to talk about because I want to talk about a new demo that recently hit Steam, okay? And the new demo that I'm talking about is Racket NX. Now, this is a game where the demo has been released, but the actual game is not coming until sometime this autumn. Okay, now what is autumn exactly? Autumn technically is after Labor Day. It's like September, October, November, and I think it even goes into part of December. So honestly, we really don't know exactly when this game is coming out. It could come out in a few weeks or it could come out in another two months. So we're just about to start autumn but we're not quite in autumn yet and it stretches all the way into December. So we got to wait a little while for this game. So what's the big deal? Why would I want to wait for this game? Well, let me tell you the racket NX demo. I got this demo, got into the game, was playing around with it for a little bit. And I thought, mm, this kind of looks like a, a clone of Hollow Ball and Cyber Pong and some of these different other Pong games. It's almost like a mishmash of all these different racket games and all these different paddle games that we're getting in VR. And when the demo first starts up, you're kind of in this Tron-like room, but it's like this circular room and it kind of forms around you and builds around you. And then you're standing on a circular platform and you have your paddle in one hand and you're kind of looking at your paddle and examining it and it's kind of reflecting off everything and it kind of has this futuristic look to it and everything kind of does have a little bit of a Tron kind of a feel and you hit the ball. The ball is just floating there in space. You hit the ball and you're hitting it at the walls and basically what you're trying to do is you're trying to hit these colored shapes that are on the wall, these green colors. And you hit the ball, and whenever you hit the green colors, if you hit them enough times, you're eventually awarded these little green balls that fall into the ring that surrounds you. And this ring that surrounds you, it starts creeping closer and closer to where you are. And if you eventually let it creep all the way to you, it's game over. And it's like this orange circle that kind of flows around you, all the way around you like a moat. And when you hit these green colored shapes that are on the wall, your racket hits the ball and you hit that ball into those green shapes. If you hit the green shapes enough, it releases these little green balls that fall into the moat that's surrounding you and and now it's protecting you. It's not getting all the way to you. So the idea is that you got to keep scoring and you got to keep scoring and you got to keep scoring to keep this orange moat from basically attacking you. And the game is just, it's all in the racket, man. It's all in the haptics. It's all in the feel of hitting that ball. 
there is something truly special with Racket NX from a standpoint of hitting the ball and filling the haptics and hearing the audio. And it's a combination of the audio and it's a combination of the haptics. It really feels like you're hitting the ball and you're hitting it hard and, and it feels like there's a weight to it and it feels like you're really, I mean, seriously, I feel like I'm making contact with a ball. And this is one of the best accidental exercise games I've seen in a while. I am a huge fan of Hollow Ball. I'm a huge fan of Cyberpong VR. And I think this game comes along and kind of blows both of those games out of the water. Now, am I never going to play Hollow Ball again or Cyberpong? No, those are great games in their own right. But there is something really special about this Racket NX. There is just something about the feel to the game. It has a really good feel. And you really get caught up in the experience. And you really start to buy into being inside this little Tron-like room and smacking the balls against the walls. Every once in a while, the ball will go inside this like refrigerated thing. And it pops out like an ice ball. And it's going in so slow motion and it's like straight up matrix, you know, in slow motion. And you just smack that ball. And if you hit one of those green shapes with the ice ball, the ice just covers all of it. And you score a huge amount of points right there. And it just has such a good vibe to it. This is one of the best demos I've played since probably the Brookhaven demo. There's a handful of Vive demos out there that are almost too good. You almost feel guilty that you have this demo that is providing you with so much joy. The Brookhaven demo was a great demo to have until I finally got the full version of that game not too long ago. But um, Racket NX, unfortunately, this demo is going to have to cover us until this game comes out. But I can tell you this is one of these games that I'm definitely going to be keeping a very close watch on because it is definitely one of the better racket games I've seen. Okay, so last week, right after I recorded Episode 9, Sony officially announced that they are going to have a special announcement on September 7th. Back in Episode 9, I talked about how it was just a rumor But the theory was that there was going to be this conference on September 7th. Well, a couple days later, Sony says, yep, we're going to have a conference. Journalists from the video game industry have been invited to New York to come see this conference. And this is a very interesting conference for me because PlayStation 4 Neo, if it is announced, I really, really want to hear how it will work with PlayStation VR. Will PlayStation VR be considerably enhanced via PS4 Neo? That's the question that I have, and hopefully that question will be answered on September 7th. And the rumor is that PlayStation 4 Neo could possibly arrive October 13th, the same day as PlayStation VR. So, That's super, super interesting. Now, on the one hand, I kind of think of the whole PlayStation 4 Neo and PSVR, and I think, why would I want to spend 
any money on that when I could take that money and I could invest it into my computer and get a better CPU and get a better video card? Should I go out there and get a PS4 Neo and a PSVR just so I can play some of these exclusive games like Battlezone and Robinson the Journey? I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of tempted a little bit on the PSVR because they are going to have so many exclusives. But at the same time, just looking at what's going on with the Vive right now and so many games are coming out every single day, it seems. Maybe I don't really need PSVR, so I'm not sure what to think. But I will tell you that September 7th, regardless, is going to be very interesting. I do want to see how PlayStation 4 Neo could possibly be in a situation with PSVR. It's going to be a very interesting thing. Now, another thing that happened right after I did Episode 9 was Intel's Project Alloy. Now, I talked about this in the previous episode, saying that there was going to be this Intel developer conference thing and that they tweeted out a little picture that showed this attachment that went on the HTC Vive that would add this special camera. And that's what I thought was going to be announced. Little did I know that Intel is actually announcing a brand new virtual reality headset and that this particular headset is going to be an all-in-one headset that's going to have the power, the GPU and the CPU, the processing technology, all of that is going to be built into the headset with no wires. And, you know, that's really interesting. And then also because it has the technology that Intel has with all the little cameras and the real sense technology and all that, supposedly you can walk from room to room within your house while wearing this headset and not even have to worry about tripping over chairs and tables and things because this headset has this built-in technology that's going to analyze your walls and analyze your furniture. I'm guessing it's going to eventually learn the layout of your house and You can walk around within your house and kind of have an augmented reality situation going on in addition to the virtual reality. Now, doesn't this sound like the most incredible thing ever? Well, it does, except the fact that it's wireless and the GPU is built into it. You're not going to get the greatest graphics when you do that. You're also going to have a situation with battery life. And you're going to have a very heavy, large headset that's going to be on top of your head because they got to fit all that technology into the actual headset that you're putting on your head. And if you look at the Intel Project Alloy initial pictures of the thing, it is a very large device. Now, here's the interesting thing. Intel actually is not going to be building these things themselves. What they're doing is they're coming up with the idea and they're coming up with a formula, but they actually want to have other manufacturers build this device. So honestly, we have no idea when this thing is coming out. We have no idea how much this thing is going to cost. It's probably going to cost a small fortune, you would have to think, if it has everything built into it. And then the graphical quality could be like Gear VR level graphics, maybe a little bit beyond that. 
So it's just a little bit sketchy on how this whole Intel Project Alloy thing is going to work out. But again, I think in the world of VR, the more the merrier. The more companies that come in here and try different things, it's going to cause everybody to try to get a little bit better and to try to improve the situation that they have going on. So I look forward to new HMDs that hit the scene and put a little bit of pressure on Oculus, a little bit of pressure on HTC to keep trying to improve their overall experience. Okay, um, the last little bit of news that I want to cover before I get to that interview, because I definitely want to get into that interview, there is a new pack-in bundle for the HTC Vive. Now, since the Vive launched on April 5th, the standard pack-in bundle for the software has been Job Simulator, Fantastic Contraption, and Tilt Brush. Well, what's going to happen now is Job Simulator and Fantastic Contraption are kicked to the curb, and Zombie Training Simulator and the Gallery Episode 1 Call of the Star Seed are going to join Tilt Brush in the new bundle. So... It's going to be kind of interesting to see what happens with Job Simulator and Fantastic Contraption. I believe Job Simulator has a $29.99 price, $30, and I think Fantastic Contraption is $39.99, $40. And if you're like me, you probably think those prices are a little bit inflated to kind of make the HTC software bundle look a little bit like a better value and to try to make the HTC Vive overall appear to be a better value because you're getting this $30 game and you're getting this $40 game and you're getting tilt brush and you know all the software that's added in it's this great value right well now job simulator and fantastic contraption these games are going to have to sell on their own merits and at these really high prices, I wonder if they're going to sell very well. Now, will the prices just drop really quick for both of those games? Maybe not. And the reason why it might not happen is I know Job Simulator is coming to PlayStation VR. And so if Job Simulator drops its price really dramatically on Steam, but the PlayStation VR version remains at this higher price... That might be kind of weird, so that might not happen. I don't know if Fantastic Contraption is coming to PlayStation VR or not, but if they are, that could be a similar situation. But eventually, we will have to see Job Simulator and Fantastic Contraption. Both of their prices are probably going to have to drop quite a bit from those inflated bundle prices, if you really ask me. Now, Zombie Training Simulator and the Gallery Episode 1 Call of the Starseed you got to love it if you're either one of those companies because for HTC to single out your game as being a game that they want all new Vive owners to have, that's a pretty good thing. I mean, that was good for Job Simulator. It was good for Fantastic Contraption. And now the gallery is going to be able to enjoy that. And Zombie Training Simulator are going to be able to enjoy that. And Tilt Brush stays in the bundle. Alrighty, so that's pretty much going to wrap it up for the news stories, and I don't really have much else for you guys on this episode. I just wanted to cover a few of the news stories that are going on, and then I wanted to get to this interview. So 
I'm going to go ahead and roll the interview right now. All right, so I got a special treat this week, episode 10 of the Vivecast. And one thing I thought would be a cool idea is if I could actually do an interview with a Vive owner, somebody that was there from the beginning, somebody that jumped on the bandwagon, you know, right when this whole thing took off and kind of get an idea of what their experience has been like with the Vive over these first couple of months that it's been available. And a listener of the show um, reached out to me on Reddit, sent me a private message, and he was actually interested if I might want to do a, another podcast. And I was kind of like, you know, my hands are kind of full with this one podcast. But, um, you know, I was thankful for the offer. And I said, hey, you know what? Maybe you could come on the show and we could do a little interview and we could put that into the Vivecast. And so right now I am joined by Gary. Gary, how is it going, man? Hi. Yeah, I'm fine. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me on the show. It's uh, I've been listening from the beginning. So, yeah, it's good to be on here. Absolutely. I'm, I'm so glad that I have another guest that... um I mean, just to talk to another Vive owner that has kind of experienced this thing, you know, and you were even in this before me because I got my Vive in, on uh, May 2nd. And the way I understand it is you got your Vive back as like mid-April? Yeah, that's right. It was around, um, I think it was April the 16th that I received it. They, um, I put my order in straight away uh sort of within the first 10 minutes but it took a couple of weeks before they managed to get all those early orders out so um yeah it's been since mid-april really god do you remember back to that time like april 5th you know the launch day and everything and do you remember back to like reddit like every single day people like when are we gonna get it when are we gonna get it when are we gonna get it you know yeah, it was uh, crazy. Everyone was getting a little bit angry, I think, with that. Um, I contacted HTC because I thought I'd probably get it within the first week, but that didn't happen. So I, I did uh, email HTC about this, and uh, they just said I, I should have it by April the 15th. Um, so I just sort of hung back from that point on just to see what happened because they seemed to be trying to get them out as quickly as they could. I mean, when you think of the launch of some new piece of hardware, and they say, oh, it's launching April 5th, you think, okay, well, you're going to ship it like two days before April 5th, right? So it gets here on April 5th, you know? And so yeah. this launch was kind of weird because it's kind of like, oh, no, you'll get it when we get it to you. You know, you're just going to have to kind of be patient. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was an odd thing, but when you, because I mean, I know Oculus had a few problems with their launch as well. So at the back of your mind, I think everybody was sort of half expecting something a, a small delay. But I think they they when they got there, and by the end of April, they seemed to have more or less caught up with uh, all the orders. So everybody had, had calmed down a little bit by then. Yeah. So let's go a little before that. Let's go back to like. How did you end up jumping on the Vive bandwagon in the first place? Because, you know, I mean, the Vive kind of got announced late, you know, late in the game. And were you thinking maybe Oculus Rift or were you watching it from the sidelines? Yeah, the Oculus Rift was the first one that I heard of. I suppose that's the same for a lot of people, really. But 
the HTC Vive, I, I was uh, listening to a, a tech podcast um, in 2015 where they mentioned this new HMD had been announced. And the way they described it, they said it was, um, obviously they mentioned the room scale factor, but they were talking quite a lot about how it was probably going to be quite expensive. So really, I, I never considered that as a possibility. And I actually pre-ordered an Oculus Rift um, before the HTC. But the problem was I didn't get in quick enough with the Oculus Rift, so I was always going to be a few months behind. So when HTC announced uh, the price and everything, I, I looked into it, and it wasn't really, considering it had the motion control, it wasn't really as expensive as I was expecting. So I was thinking about it, and then I just decided to jump in. As soon as the pre-orders went live, I cancelled my Oculus Rift and decided to go for the Vive, only because that was the first one that I'd be able to receive. Um, at that point, I was mainly interested in sort of seated experiences. I'd never used the room scale, so that wasn't really a factor straight away. But the more I looked into it, I have to say, the more interested in it I became. Wow, that's interesting because I'm almost like polar opposite because when I heard of the Oculus Rift and I was watching stuff, I mean, I was very interested in it, but it wasn't until the HTC Vive got announced and the whole idea, you know, with the lighthouses and how you almost have like this little miniature hollow deck in your house. That's the thing that was like, yeah, now I'm actually interested in this thing. And, you know, but for you, you were actually more interested in the seated experience. And then it's like room scale. You're like, hmm, I'm not sure about this, but you're going to try it out. Because I think it was just, I'd never expected that side of things really. Whenever I was looking into virtual reality before, it was always sort of seated using a gamepad and you're just able to look around. But when I started seeing all these videos coming out of room scale in action and eventually I managed to actually try it a couple of weeks before I received, well, about a month before I received my Vive. And from that point on, yeah, I was sold on it completely. I mean, it's a whole new thing when you can actually walk around like a normal human being you know even if you're if you have a very small room it diminishes it a little bit but just being able to move around naturally just adds so much more to the experience it does yeah i mean most of the time i'm in quite a small uh, room space it's in my home office so it's not a big area but occasionally i do take my pc into my lounge which is sort of the, well it's a much bigger area it's, i don't think it's quite the maximum that you can have or anything like that but it, it makes a difference it certainly makes a difference yeah uh i have a question though in regards to that is like have you noticed there are certain games that really don't need much of a big area like you're pretty much basically in one little spot and like even if you had a big area, it might not matter all that much? Well, there's games that adjust themselves slightly as well. Um, things like Job Simulator, they adjust to the size of your room a little bit. So with Job Simulator, my kids can uh, use it pretty happily in, in a small area because you don't really need to move around too much in that. Um, but things, I think it's just an advantage in some games, like Space Pirate Trainer, if you've got a bigger room, you can move around more to dodge out of the way of the projectiles and things like that. So I think it, it just comes down to it being an advantage. And then obviously there are some experiences where it's really required to have a bigger room. Um, 
I mean, I remember just recently trying uh, the trials of Tatooine and my room isn't really big enough. So the buttons that you have to press in that demo uh, to get it moving on to the next stage, they're actually right where my wall is. So I was really struggling to push those buttons. Yeah, so it was. I think um, it's good when some of them do adjust themselves like Job Simulator to um, cater for the smaller rooms. Yeah, and also I think some of the developers, like, have you ever tried Cyberpong? Yeah, I did try that a while ago, yeah. Because one of the interesting things they do with that game is they kind of put you inside a container, you know, and so the wall is, like, right there and the wall's right there and then the ceiling is just above your head. And so I would imagine even for people that have a smaller room, you probably might not run into your uh, boundaries and stuff because they kind of keep you in this artificially confined spot. Yeah, I think uh, there's a few games that do that kind of thing. Um, so they're, I guess they're aimed more for like the standing experience rather than walking around. I think the biggest thing, and I think you've probably mentioned this before, is where you're playing the more immersive experiences like Vanishing Realms and things like that and you're constantly running into your chaperone bounds and it just takes you out of that moment where you're in this great medieval setting and then all of a sudden you've got these uh, green or red lines that are obscuring your view slightly and it just takes you out of it just for just that little bit oh absolutely i mean um what do you have your chaperone set to because i know there's you know various settings you can kind of screw around with it a little bit yeah i've got it set to pretty much as low as i can get it um i've got it on so it's just uh, the basic outline with a line through the center um i think it's just the called the advanced advanced yeah what color are you using I've gone through a few different colours. I use uh, like a very dark red uh, to begin with, but now I'm using a, a green colour. I don't really know which one's the best. I mean, I, I actually set it to blue because that blends in quite a bit, actually, on, on some of the experiences. Um, but at the same time, I use it for myself and I have to adjust it whenever my kids use it because I don't want them running into... The walls, the objects. yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I turned mine on to... I think it goes advanced and then there's developer. And I think when you have it on developer, it just does the floor. You know, you just see the floor perimeter. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've not really looked into that one. I don't think. And I had it set to blue. And so that I think if you have it set to blue and you have it set to floor, that's probably the least immersion breaking. But the problem is, is sometimes you won't notice it. Actually, very recently, I was playing Brookhaven Experiment, and I smacked my controller super hard on a table-type thing that is just a little ways out of my area. I might have partly broken this controller because it's kind of acting up on me. It works, but it doesn't work, and it kind of fades in and out and stuff. It's really screwed up. It's like I don't want to send it the controller away because I know how long it takes, you know, to get the controller fixed, and it costs so much yeah. money. I might have to buy a new one because I ruined it myself. But um after that happened, I'm like, oh, man, I got to change my chaperone settings because I got too immersed playing Brookhaven. You know, you got all these zombies and stuff, and it's like – the lizard part of your brain just kind of takes over and you have these big creatures coming at you. And sometimes instinctively you can just 
move several feet beyond what you would have thought, you know, and then all of a sudden you're out of your play space and you're smacking into stuff. Yeah, I've uh, <laughs> it's uh, I've had a similar experience because the chaperone's good. I mean, I it's handy to have when it does save you, but I had a similar thing with Vanishing Realms where you're swinging that sword around and, you know, I've got a few objects beyond my chaperone bounds, monitors and things like that, which I could always hit. So it's always at the back of my mind that is as well. So, I mean, I think we all just need warehouses. <laughs> <laughs> we really do. How many posts have you seen on Reddit where it's somebody's broken TV? I mean, I feel really <laughs> bad for some of these people. I know. It's, they seem to come up at least once a week. You get another picture of a monitor that's been destroyed. Well, this one guy had a OLED, you know, those like $5,000 ones, and it got smacked. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I would go absolutely crazy if I – hopefully he has like <laughs> homeowner's insurance that covers like accidental – I don't know what could cover yeah. that. Yeah, you've got to hope for that. I wish they had a ceiling chaperone, but I guess it's pretty hard to do because when you think about – room scale it's kind of like a volumetric cube that you basically have you know what i mean it's like you got your floor you've got your ceiling and then you've got your your four walls but they only really take into consideration the four walls and i guess kind of the floor and i don't know about you but my ceiling it's um I'm in a situation where I really can't jump at all and i have to be careful if like a really tall person comes over and wants to try it yeah, I can't, I mean, I can reach up and touch the ceiling because my office is actually like in a converted garage. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not got a tall ceiling or anything like that. So it'd definitely be handy because I'm mainly worried about hitting the lights and things like that. Because again, you see these pictures of people that have damaged their controllers on lights and things like that. Oh yeah, ceiling fans and stuff. And then every once in a while you'll see a post where somebody takes their Vive setup. Did you see that one guy? He took it to like a gymnasium and tried to make the biggest possible Vive area he could. And it was like 20 feet by 20 feet or something crazy. No, I didn't see that. I missed that one. I actually have a really big play space where I'm at. I have like 14 feet by 14 feet. It's like almost four meters by four meters. And yeah, but I don't have the ceiling, but I just, I dream of, 20 by 20 space that has like a 15 foot ceiling so I could jump up. I could get selfie tennis. You know, I could play some of these crazy games, jump up, smack my controller, and I don't have to worry about anything above me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be good to have that freedom, but the, I think, um, it's the practicality side of the HTC Vive, which, um, is concerning for a lot of people. And I think why, what, that is affected why people, some people have gone for the Oculus Rift over the Vive because a lot of people just haven't got a, a room that they can dedicate to VR or even, even for a few hours. If it's taking over the lounge where the family sit in, it's, it can, can cause a big problem, I guess. My thinking in regards to that, I mean, absolutely, that is major. When we think about the HTC Vive and we wonder, okay, how many people worldwide own one of these things. Personally, I think they're well past a hundred thousand. They're probably pretty close to like a hundred and fifty thousand, maybe even nearing two hundred thousand worldwide. I know we haven't gotten any numbers or anything on it, but it is going to be limited because you do run up against the size of the play space and somebody goes to like a Microsoft store 
and they get a demonstration in a relatively large area and they think, oh my God, this is incredible. Look at this whale. I can, I can walk around this pirate ship. It's amazing. And then they buy the HTC Vive and they bring it home, but they've got a really small home office and they're like, oh, I, I can't really do it in here quite like I did it in the store. That's a big problem. But the thing that I think of is like, could VR potentially be so compelling that it forces you to like make it happen? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, the the room size thing and having a room dedicated to it was a factor for me when I bought it as well because when I put in my order for the HTC Vive, I, I measured my office and it was more or less at the very bare minimum that I could use the Vive in. So it was a concern all the way through. Um, but with regards to it becoming just, I mean, I, I guess when it becomes ubiquitous, <laughs> sorry, ubiquitous. Uh, I guess when everybody has it, yeah. <laughs> um, then yeah, it's going to become a thing that is in your living room, like the TV, I guess. Yeah. I think eventually, well, here in America, we do have, you know, more space. They build much bigger homes here in America. You know, we like to drive our cars that take up all the huge space and everything. But, um, I could eventually see there being a day where it's like advertised. This house has a VR room. It has a 20 by 20 VR room with 15 foot tall ceilings and padded walls. I mean, <laughs> I really do believe though that like we are on the cusp of a breakthrough with VR, AR, you know, whatever you want to call it, but I don't know if you were there when like Super Mario 64 first came out, you know, and when you first saw Super Mario 64 and you're like, oh my God, look at Mario, look at that tree. You can jump on the tree and you can see the water and it's just, everything is amazing. And I really feel like we are in a similar situation right now in the year 2016. You know, when I play Brookhaven and I see this giant zombie come at me, it's the same kind of feeling that I got when I first saw Mario 64 for the first time. It's like, okay, all bets are off. You know, this is the future. This is a runaway train. It can't be stopped. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take to run everybody over. But I think from an entertainment medium, I don't see how you get better than this. You know, I mean, I mean, we're right. at the very beginning, like Atari 2600 graphic level, but I just mean this medium stepping inside whatever fantasy world you want to be in. Yeah. I mean, I've shown the Vive to quite a few people and there's not a single person that isn't impressed by it. I'm not saying that every person I've shown it to wants one or anything like that, but they've all been impressed by the technology. And I think one of the biggest things will be when it, it can get to just putting on a pair of glasses and you can convert these glasses to a VR display. A lot of it is the hassle of setting up the uh, lighthouses and some people that are not really uh, into technology a great deal, they can't see themselves doing this kind of thing, putting this much effort into getting virtual reality, no matter how compelling it is at this stage. But I think as it goes on and the technology advances and it does get to the point where you can just be putting on a, a pair of glasses and you can just push a button at the top of the frame and all of a sudden you've got a virtual world around you, you can put on a pair of headphones and you're there. I think that's the point when, I mean, not it doesn't even need to get to that stage really. It could even happen a little bit earlier than that. But 
at the moment, I think it's just still slightly beyond what the average person is going to do. How many people do you know that they can barely figure out their internet browser, you know, and they're going to be running all this stuff and they're going to do super sampling and, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff and run steam VR and make sure their controllers are paired and, Oh, I'm slightly blocking this lighthouse. And is it secure? It is a, a huge hassle, all of that type of stuff. I just, I don't know. I still believe like, I know we're not there yet. And I know that, we don't have a game right now that we can point to and say, just play this. You know what I mean? Maybe when yeah. the full version of Budget Cuts comes out, the 22 minutes or whatever that we spend in Budget Cuts is a real magical experience. It's just the way they made that game. It just has a good feel. It just it just feels right and it plays really well. And if we could get like a five, six hour version of that, then maybe we could point to something like that. Or maybe, you know, Fallout 4, I mean, I talk about it every week on the show, but the reason I talk about it is because I've heard some recent impressions where people have played the most recent demo at QuakeCon and blown away. I mean, everybody... We see the threads on Reddit where people say, oh, every game is like a mini game. Every game is like a demo. Where is there something deep? And Fallout 4, I mean, I know it's 2017 when we're finally going to get it, but I really feel like a breakthrough experience could come around any corner, like any given day. There's so many new games. It's so hard to keep track of everything. Yeah, there's always uh, new demos coming out. Um, I mean, I can't. I struggle to keep up now. When when I first got my Vive, I was always downloading the latest demos or games because um, there's a lot of free things out there that you can just try. But Fallout 4, it's always on my mind as well. When that comes out, will that be the thing that propels VR to the next level? Um, and I think Bethesda seemed to be going for VR in quite a big way because... Uh, they were doing this Doom experience. So I first heard it was just a... I thought it was just a level you could walk around um, when they first shown this off. I think it was at E3 this year. Yeah. And it turned out that you could actually uh, do some shooting in it as well and things like that. Um, but I never realised they were going to do it as a, as a full game, but it seems like they're sort of edging towards that now. They, they From some of the comments I've been reading online, they seem to be saying that they're experimenting with... Uh, the the methods of moving, navigating the world, teleportation, which some people don't like, some people do. And so it just seems like they're moving more towards making Doom perhaps a, a slightly more than just an experience, making it into a game. But for Fallout 4, yeah, I mean, I was really excited when they announced that at E3, and I, I can't wait to give that a try. You know, speaking of the Doom VR thing that you're talking about, One of the vibes that I get from what people have been saying about it, it almost seems like Bethesda has seen Brookhaven and they've seen raw data and they're like, Brookhaven raw data? Are they really that much different than Doom? Like if you're in a certain part of the Doom world and you're, you've got, you know, 360 degrees, you got cyber demons and stuff coming from all angles. I mean, isn't that basically what raw data and Brookhaven is for the most part? So I think that's kind of what they're thinking about for Doom VR is it's going to be 
kind of a shooting gallery, but it's going to be one of the best looking shooting gallery wave base shooters we could possibly imagine. So I think that's kind of where they're going with that. And I don't really mind because I think that's a, a great way to go. Yeah, from what you hear about Doom, I think it's going to be a very similar game to Raw Data because there's not a lot. I think the moving around the environment is obviously, everybody mentions it, it's one of the biggest problems at the moment. Um, some people don't like VR and some people get motion sick if they do it using the trackpad um, movement. But with games like Doom, I think this is a big concern from people that obviously come from playing Doom on a monitor. They're going to expect it to be a similar experience. I don't think it can be a similar experience in VR at this stage. I think it's going to be, like you say, one of the best wave-based shooters that you can get. Um, but as soon as they get... I mean, there's the things like the Virtuix Omni and, and the walking apparatus that you can get. And I don't know how well they're going to work out, really, because from all the videos I've seen, I mean, it's early stages, I've never tried one, but they just don't look too natural or comfortable at, at the moment. Uh, that might change if I try one. But this is one of the, the big things that is going to hold virtual reality back as well, in my opinion. Anyway. You know, what do you think about trackpad movement? Have you tried it in any of the various games that are out there? Does it make you really nauseous or what's your take? I think I'm one of the lucky ones, really. I don't get motion sick very easy. Um, I have had uncomfortable experiences a couple of times, not really using the trackpad movement, though. Uh, as long as I'm standing and you can turn on the spot and use trackpad movement, I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't know if you tried a, a game called Toy Plane Heroes. You're sitting in the cockpit of a toy plane and you play with a gamepad and you're flying all around these rooms. That is the one that made me have an uncomfortable I didn't really feel nauseous or anything like that but it was an uncomfortable feeling while I was playing that um but yeah the trackpad movement doesn't bother me too much it's odd when you first use it I'll, I'll admit that but it, I think you get used to it after a while have you ever tried Winlands yeah yeah that's uh I, that was okay I, I that could cope with that perfectly fine really yeah it's a it's a strange game I recently played that one right and I really thought that the trackpad movement combined with like jumping and then like shooting way up in the air and swinging from tree to tree and like being thousands of feet up in the air and whooshing around yet you're just standing yeah. on the ground. I thought for sure that that would make me feel super weird, but I had zero problems and I'm kind of a little bit blown away by that game. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. I mean, it, if anything's going to make you uh, motion sick, I would think it's going to be something like that. But a lot of people seem to do okay with it. And it is a, a, a good game. It's a good idea for a game because it's just the sense of freedom you get as you're moving around this environment because you can go anywhere and you've got... You almost got superpowers as well by shooting out these ropes that can grab onto the trees and moving around that way it's an interesting game and i've not spent too much time in it but it's certainly one that i'd like to go back to yeah for me it's one that i mean it came out right when the vibe first came out and i completely avoided it for you know months and months and a listener to the show actually he heard one of the episodes where i was talking about how trackpad movement doesn't bother me too much and i also mentioned that 
my fear of heights had kind of faded away. And he uh, Steam gifted me that game, Winlands. And I was like, oh, cool, I'll try it out, sure. And I was like, I don't know if, you know, it'll work for me. I mean, I might blow chunks or something after I play it for 10 minutes. But (laughs) the uh, the very first time you hit the jump button and you jump way up, it's like, whoa, that feels kind of weird. You know, and you can get like the wobbly legs thing a little bit here and there. But, man, I mean, you're zipping all over the place and... You hear people say, you know, that we have this major locomotion problem in VR and, and I'm swinging from tree to tree moving like, you know, 300 <laughs> miles an hour. And I'm like, what locomotion problem? This is working really good yeah. for me. Yeah. It's, um, I don't think it's just people getting nauseous with this locomotion problem, but it's the fact that the game's just a game like Doom where you're struggling to move around in a quick way, the way you'd expect to play that game. I think it's just, that's a lot of the problem as well because trackpad as good as it is for certain people, it still doesn't feel as natural as playing on a gamepad on a monitor when you, that's what you come in from. That's what you're used to. Yeah. Well, the thing that you hear about like with trackpad movement is even though you seem to be able to do it. Okay. And it doesn't bother you too much. I do it and it doesn't bother me too much. We're actually in the minority. It seems like the majority of people actually do feel kind of weird. It might be like, you know, 60, 40, like 60% of the people, it doesn't feel too good for them. The other 40% could do it no problem. And if you're a developer and you're thinking of making a game, you know, are you going to cater to 40% or are you going to cater to the rest of the entire group? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a big problem. And just VR as a whole, if you're a developer, it's a risk at the moment because the audience is so small, but it will grow. And I think that all these locomotion problems will get resolved eventually. So one question I have for you is we hear this a lot where people talk about the honeymoon period and you got your Vive in mid-April and you've had it three, four months now. And you've tried a ton of games. What's your thought on the honeymoon period? Are you still in love with VR? Do you look forward to playing it often? Are you thinking, "Eh, I don't know, maybe I made a mistake. I'm going to go back to regular gaming and get rid of this. What's your take on the honeymoon period? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely still believe in VR. And I think it's a fantastic experience. The thing for me is when you first get the Vive, because I come from a point where I'd never really tried VR in any big way before. I tried the DK2 a little bit and um, used the Vive at a PC World store here in the UK just briefly. But other than that, I'd only tried the Google Cardboard. And that's, although it's virtual reality, it's not a very good representation of what virtual reality can be. So when you first put on the HTC Vive in your house and you can use it for any length of time. I think there's a few things that stand out. The first thing that you notice is because everything's in perfect 3D, it's not like wearing 3D glasses and looking at a TV. This is in perfectly rendered 3D, separate image for each eye, full 90 frames per second. And this is one of the big things for me. It really does feel like you're standing in whatever room they put you in in virtual reality. And that side of things fades a little bit over time. You don't notice the 3D quite so much, in my opinion. 
I think you just get used to it and you accept it as this being a form of of reality in, in a way. And you just forget about that instant wow factor when you first put on the headset. But in terms of the experiences, there's a few that I keep coming back to. And I do use my Vive every day if I get the opportunity. I don't always have free time. But I'll always put it on for probably half an hour or an hour each day and try some of the things that I use again and again. I mean, I really enjoy Pool Nation VR. Uh, I'm not particularly good at it, but I do enjoy that. Yeah. And there's certain experiences that I do enjoy doing on a daily basis. Some of them... Uh, things that you can probably do once in a while or maybe only experience once and you feel like you've done everything in them. That's just the nature of those experiences. But as a whole, I'd say the novelty of certain aspects of the Vive wears off in time. But then you can really get into enjoying the good experiences. And uh, yeah, that's where I am at the moment. I still use it daily if I can. You know, one thing I've noticed is, yeah... Once you've had the Vive for a while and, you know, when you first get the Vive and you're first in there, it's kind of like my fear of heights because when I first had the Vive and I was in these different experiences where it would have you up on a cliff and I would look over the edge, I'd be like, oh my God, you know, I'd really feel like I'm about to fall off this cliff. And I think the way it was is VR was so new to me and my brain was like, wait a minute, this looks real, you know, and it's sending like a danger, danger, you know, and yeah. as the months went by, my brain has kind of said, oh, okay, we kind of have a feel for what this is and it isn't completely real. And I think the reason that that happens is because when I go into a lot of the Vive games now, I notice I notice the screen door effect, you know, I notice the pixelization and kind of the fuzziness and the resolution and stuff. I, I honestly didn't notice it that much when I first got the vibe. I was so overwhelmed with just having virtual reality period, you know, and, and being able to yeah. walk around in a space. But I think now I kind of do notice that stuff. Yeah, I was, um, I wouldn't say I was the opposite to that because when I first tried the Vive, um, it was out in a public place. They were putting on demonstrations. So I tried it very briefly there and I was conscious of the fact that when I put on this headset, I wanted to take a mental note of my experience rather than just enjoy the game. I wanted to really see what the headset was like. So I took note of the screen door effect, the resolution, uh, field of view, all these things, because I wanted to really get an idea. Because before, when I've tried virtual reality, you put on that headset and you just forget about everything. You just think, I've got to take a mental note of all these things just to see what the experience is like. But you just get lost in the experience as soon as you put the headset on. So I, I made sure I did that this time. And, I mean, the screen door effect, the resolution, is one thing that I really notice more than anything. I think the field of view problem that people have with the Vive and the Rift is just something that will get better over time. But when you're in an experience, you really get lost. You don't notice the field of view at all after a while. Um, but it depends on certain other things where you do notice the resolution, you do notice the screen door effect, yeah. uh, especially on certain games. Hey, you know, speaking of field of view, have you ever heard of people that they would make their own little foam thing for the Vive? Yeah, yeah. I did that, and I made a super thin one, 
And it's crazy because every time I use the Vive, I use this super, super thin one. It really doesn't protect your face very much. So it's not like super, super comfortable. But oh my goodness, my eyes are so much closer to the screen and I don't wear glasses or anything. So I can actually have, you know, the whole lens mechanism. I can have it closer to my eyes anyway. And then, and yeah. then I do the field of view mod as well. So it puts my eyes even closer to the screen. And what I've noticed with that is because my eyes are closer to the screen, the sweet spot is a little bit bigger. And then the spot that would be blurry, you know, around the outsides is a little bit smaller to me. And man, it's so hard to go back because my son, one of my sons, whenever he plays, he does not like the thin one. He wants the, you know, the one that came with it, the retail. Yeah. And I put that on and then he plays with it and then I forget about it. And then I go put the headset on with the retail one. And I'm like, oh my God, how do people play like this? Your eyes are so far away from the screen. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't do that on my Vive, but I've tried taking the foam off just to see what it was like without the foam, just to get an, an idea of what it was like. And it does make a big difference. I've got to admit. Um, but I've never really had a big problem with the field of view. But I know it can make the uh, the sweet spot in the middle that little bit bigger as well. So you can get some benefits from that. I think, honestly, I think it's the best mod. I mean, that's just my personal opinion. Do you wear glasses? I don't, know. no. Do you have the lens mechanism like as close as it can, you know, where you twist it on the side? Yeah, that's the interesting thing because the... Um, when my father tried it, he does wear glasses, so I had to move the uh, lens mechanism as far away as I could, yeah. and he, he still loved the experience, but I'm just there thinking, this is really not as good as it can be. Um, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if you don't wear glasses um, and you can really get your eyes close, the only thing is some people have really long eyelashes, and I guess they kind of, like, hit the screen and that's bothersome, but I guess my eyelashes aren't very long, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, the field of view mod, oh my goodness. If there's people out there that want to try it, you can go to these different stores where they sell like fabrics and stuff like that. And they'll have different kind of foam with different kind of thickness of the foam. And it's so easy just to cut out the shape, you know, uh, and, and then you just stick it on there and you can try it and be like, oh no, I, cut it a little more, try it. Oh, now this feels better, you know, and experiment yeah. because the field of view, whatever the standard field of view, I'm getting like 10 degrees more. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll have to look into it a little bit more. I've, I've, like I say, I've, I've only tried it briefly, but everybody does seem to recommend doing something like this. It makes you wonder really why HTC didn't provide some thinner foam with it. So you could, get this advantage without having to do your own mods but i guess they're they've gone for comfort mainly yeah um so in general what would you say is like your favorite vive game like if you could only go to bat for one vive game out there what's your number one um it's a tough question <laughs> um or you could talk about a couple the, of them if you want yeah the i mean the one i play probably most will be Pool Nation VR, but that's a, a limited experience. Obviously, it's a pool simulator, so you play in pool. Yeah. So I don't think that would be the one I'd go for. But 
something like, I mean, I play uh, Elite Dangerous, and that's a really good game because you get a little bit more depth in that than some of the other experiences. But it's a seated experience, and although I mentioned at the beginning how that was my main focus when I got my Vive, now I've moved over, it's just so much easier to pick up the motion controllers and put on the Vive and do some of the room scale games. As much as some people would assume it's easier just to sit down and play Elite Dangerous, but for me, the way I've got the room set up, it's easier just to put on the Vive, grab the motion controllers, and I'm away. Yeah. So... Some of the uh, the other wait games well, uh, real that, quick uh, though on Elite Dangerous because that's interesting. I've always heard that the Vive version of Elite Dangerous looks really bad and like you have to have like a super overpowered PC to be able to run it halfway decent. What is your feeling on that? Yeah, without the uh, because obviously I know you've mentioned the super sampling um, thing that everybody has been trying recently. Yeah. And that makes a big difference for Elite Dangerous. Without any of that, it is a problem. It doesn't look clear. And I was really disappointed, actually, when I first tried it on the Vive. It's um, There's certain other things you can do. You can super sample, but you can also change the colour of the hood. And that can make a big difference to how clear everything appears. It's still not perfect, but it's super sampling has helped it a lot. Now, with regards to the type of PC you need, it's, yeah, it does take it out of your PC. I had a GTX 980. I've got a 1070 now. But when I tried it with a GTX 980, it was okay. It could run everything. I think it relies on reprojection quite a bit. But um I run it on super sampling set at 1.3. And it's not perfectly clear, but it's at least 10 times better than it is without any super sampling whatsoever. Yeah. So... Yeah, I recommend if play Elite, then definitely give the Super Sampling a try. Okay, and I know you're also playing a racing game that is a seated experience as well? Yeah, Assetto Corsa is really good on the Vive. You have to use, I don't think it's got native uh, Vive support at the moment. You have to use the Revive application. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that game runs fantastically well um you can really ramp up the super sampling on that and get a really really clear picture Hmm. um it just doesn't seem to be too demanding that game for some reason so my question on the racing games is i've always wondered you know when you're in a real car okay and, and you're driving down the street and you know you're driving like 40 miles an hour or whatever and you make a turn and you know when you're inside the car, your body, you know, the forces, inertia, you know, your body's moving and you're turning and you feel that. But when you're playing VR, you're not in a motion simulator, you know, you're sitting in a regular chair. So what is it like when you're driving really fast and you're turning, but you're not really turning? Yeah, this is another one of those uh, situations where you sort of get used to it. I mean, when I first played well, with Seto Corsa or Project Cars, the two racing games that I played from time to time, you notice that kind of thing a lot more. I don't notice it. I mean, it, there's almost no problem with it now. But the way I found it was worse was where you're going up and down the dips and the hills and things like that. That's where it hit me a little bit more than the corners. Um Now, my wife tried Project Cars and she had a big problem with it. She couldn't play it for more than, well, 30 seconds. She just wanted to get straight out of there, really. It was just, she just couldn't cope with it. It just felt so strange to her to drive this car but not feel any of the inertia. 
So it varies for everyone, but for me, it's diminished the more I've played those type of games. I really wish there were some demos for some of these racing games. I don't know of any really specific racing game that has a demo. No, no, I don't know any either. There's a, a, I can't remember. I think it's called Live for Speed. There's a free game, which is virtual reality compatible. And um, Live for Speed, I've never tried yeah, it. Yeah, I heard I about mean, that. Yeah, so, I mean, that might be worth looking into. I think that's a free download. Yeah, I might have to try that. I think it's not available on Steam, though. You have to go somewhere else to find it or something. Yeah, yeah, I think you have to download it from their website. Okay, so, Gary, I did send you a list and an email about some demos that I was trying out, and I was hoping maybe you would get a chance to try a few of these demos and maybe we could talk about them. Did you get a chance to try Quanero? I did, yeah, yeah. I spent a few minutes in that. That's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting title. Yeah, it's super weird. But the weird thing about this is like you, this is what I love about the Vive, man. You just never know what's going to happen. You know, like when you hit the button and it's loading up and you're in the, this is real, you know, the Steam VR thing and you're waiting for the game to load up. You just never know what these developers are going to throw at you. And for this demo, the thing that I thought was cool is like, I'm in this demo and I see this guy sitting in a chair and I see this other guy sitting in a chair and they're pretty large creatures and, you know, I'm standing there and I'm occupying the physical space with them and room scale and stuff and people are talking over there and there's some guy cooking hamburgers and he's listening to a boom box and kind of dancing around and all of a sudden all this crazy stuff happens and you can kind of fast forward time and rewind time. And as you're like fast forwarding time and rewind time, you can kind of just pause it and leave somebody in the middle of whatever crazy motion they are. And you can kind of go up to them and look around them completely 360 degrees. It's kind of like matrix style. And what I was thinking with this demo was, oh my God, somebody could make a really cool detective game using this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, I, I just jumped into the game pretty quickly and I didn't pay attention to the controls. So I got in there and, and nothing's happening. Um, and then it took me a moment to realize that you press the trigger and time will go forward. Uh, you press the other trigger and then you can reverse time. And I guess the idea of the game is to solve a crime, like you say, like some kind of detective game um, to solve this crime that happens in this short scene that takes place. And it's... Uh, I've never seen anything like it before, really. So it was certainly an interesting experience. And uh, I'd like to go back and have another go at that. You yeah. probably should check it out because you can actually go into the bar. I don't know if you went into the bar, but there's like different little things that are playing out simultaneously. You know, this explosion happens, but you can go back before the explosion happens. And I don't know. I think they could really make a cool little like detective style game like you know like a csi type thing where you're examining a crime scene and maybe you have like psychic powers where you can kind of like almost visually see what happens and you know yeah. rewind time fast forward time yeah it's a really really cool idea and um, they could definitely expand it i mean I, I guess it's early days for for that particular one but it certainly shows quite a bit of promise totally unique for sure um, another demo I wanted you to try was The Last Sniper VR. Did you try that one? I did, yeah. I was really impressed with this one. I've got to say, this um, 
it, it's one that's come up before and it was on my list to download but i gave it a try a few days ago and yeah i mean it seems very polished at, at this stage as well and the sniping mechanism all seems to work really well um Everything just uh, feels right in that game. What did you think about the water, though, before it even starts? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, the logo of the company, I guess, who made it uh, pops out of the water. And, yeah, that was really cool, yeah. You know, it was one guy. I, I know it's brilliant game studios, but it's actually one guy that made that game. But that water, oh my God, I love that water. Cause when you first start it up, it's like you're in the middle of this ocean, but the water's kind of going up to maybe your knees or something. And the waves are just moving along and you see your vibe controllers and you see these waves and you hear the, you know, the sounds of the ocean. And yeah. I was thinking, like, give me a boat and put a, a great white shark over there, and, oh, this could be an awesome <laughs> adventure. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing, where if you if you could just have a boat and just go around to these islands that they've got set up or something like that, that would be fantastic. All the, I mean, he's got the waves. All he has to do is figure yeah. <laughs> out the rest of it. But, you know, when that demo first starts up and it's raining and, you know, you hear the sounds of, like, nazi germany and and you see the planes flying overhead it's pretty cool i thought the sniping was really weird though i had a really hard time trying to look through that tiny little sniper hole and then trying to see the nazi across the street on that other building and it's like when you're looking at stuff that's kind of far away in vr it can be very pixelated and it's kind of hard to see it yeah yeah that's true but uh, you've got these, in that game, you've got the guys across the street that you can sniper, but then at the same time, you've got people uh, sneaking up behind you as well that you have to keep an eye on. It's a, a good game, and uh, I can't wait for that to sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's just a, a sort of an early access type game at the moment as yeah, well. Yeah, no, I believe it's, uh, you can buy it, it's 10 bucks, but I don't know how many levels or how long it goes or whatever, but... It's out there, you know, but I, when, yeah. when the demo came out, I was like, I love the demos because a demo lets me know, is this actually going to run on my machine? Am I going to get sick? You get the actual demo. You can play the game a little bit. And there's so many demos. One other demo we got to talk about, Akon's Call. Yeah. It's made by this company called Cyberith. They're the ones that make one of those. You were talking about the treadmill. They make one of these treadmills and the guys behind that treadmill, they decided to kind of make a game and just kind of start it out. And did you try this one? Because it's kind of like a poor man's Vanishing Realms for a little bit there. Yeah, it's um, one that looks like, again, it shows a lot of promise. I mean, the graphics are very good. Um, it's got a few unusual things with it. The, it feels like the sword is sort of slightly delayed when you swing the sword. And things like that. I guess that's just a design decision that the developers made. Um, but the graphics are fantastic and you're fighting these skeletons, which are more realistic type skeletons than the ones in Vanishing Realms. But yeah, this was one of the ones where I had a few uh, frame drops and things like that. I don't know if, if you had any of those. Hmm, mine seemed to run okay pretty much. Did you get to that one part where... As you get a little farther in the demo, there's this little bridge and then this other big warrior guy comes out and starts battling you. And he also has like three skeletons with him. 
I didn't get a chance. No, I only played this one for a few oh, minutes okay. to get an idea of it. So definitely yeah. check it out some more. It's not too bad. But you know, the interesting thing about a little game like that is that the people that programmed it, I don't believe that this is their thing. You know what I mean? And it's like anybody and everybody could possibly make a game. And I, I really feel like out of the corner from anywhere, some breakthrough experience is going to come because if you see some of these things like Aiken's Call and, and The Last Sniper VR, they're very rough and they're very amateurish, but at the same yeah. time, it's like anybody and everybody can come out with something and somebody's going to nail it, man. Somebody's going to put it all together. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these demos are made, it's going back to the early days of development, it seems. And I know this has been mentioned before where, I mean, especially here in the UK, you had when the first Marco computers came out and you had things like the Commodore 64 coming out, a lot of people, it's sort of teenagers really, were developing games on their own, sending them off to publishers and they were becoming full releases at that time. And it really feels like virtual reality is sort of the second coming of that kind of mentality where you have these single person development teams that are just really experimenting. They've not got all the resources to put fantastic graphics and everything, but they're coming up with some interesting game mechanics which have not really been thought of before so it's sort of an exciting time to just try all these demos and just see which ones work and which ones don't it really is because it's kind of like the wild wild west and what i like to say is everybody's always saying well where are the big triple a companies where are the big publishers and stuff but when those guys come this beautiful thing that is going on right now is going to kind of get disrupted a little bit and then vr might go mainstream and everybody will be playing fallout 4 vr and big huge experiences in vr tomb raider vr and whatever comes down the line but right now we got this really beautiful thing that's happening where every single day there's a new release and you just don't know what's going to happen and there's all these new demos and there's all these new there's so many little experiences that you can try that they're not even a game. It's just like a little thing that you can do. Like, did you do that one thing? It came out a week or so ago where it's like you're kind of trying to solve like some murder mystery or something and you put a light bulb into the, into the light and it changes the light and it's like you're walking around this room. I forget the name of it, but it's just, no, no. Oh man. No, I think I missed out on that one. There's just so many little things that are coming out every single day and, a lot of it is amateurish. A lot of it is very bare bones and it's kind of janky. You know, like Akon's call, you were talking about the sword, the physics of the sword, like trying to move it around. You yeah. could get it stuck in rocks and stuff. You had to really be aware of how much space that sword is taking up and kind of avoid physical things. And it's a little janky, but, but man, I can see the promise. And it seems like I think great things are coming at any given time. Yeah, and I think you're right. I think the uh with Bethesda doing Fallout 4 VR, that's going to put a lot of attention on virtual reality. And if it's a success, then it could bring quite a few people over uh, that, that are not particularly convinced at this stage. But I think the big thing as well, it's like the indie development scene on PC. You've got a lot of people that haven't got the resources to do put in fantastic 3d graphics or anything like that but the thing where they can um 
have a bit of an advantage is they can use their imagination to come up with new game mechanics that have not necessarily been thought of, even by the big studios. So this is something to look out for, particularly on VR, because it is so new and no one knows all the best mechanics to use at the moment. And anybody could come out with a, a mechanic which just grips people and makes it that virtual reality is a must-buy now. Yeah, that's why I think this is an unstoppable train. I think it's just a matter of where we're joining, you know, because I kind of look at it almost like when 3D took over back in the mid-90s. You know when the PlayStation and the Sega Saturn came out and it was like, okay, that's yeah. 3D. But here's the thing. A couple years before that, there was something called the Panasonic 3DO and there was the Atari Jaguar and they were both doing 3D and nobody remembers them because two years later the PlayStation came out. And I kind of feel like maybe that's where we are with the HTC Vive, like we are the pioneers, you know, we're at the very cusp of this and maybe three years from now, some other headset's going to come out that's going to kill everything. I am I going to cry about it? Did I waste my investment in the Vive? No, because I'm here at this incredibly exciting time and I'm experiencing stuff that, you know, I might talk about 20 years from now because I was like, oh man, I was there when VR first happened, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's good to experience it at this early stage as well because there's so much coming out. It's it's just incredible. On a daily basis, you've got new experiences to try. And like I say, I can't really keep up with it now. I, I tried to during the early days, but now there's so many new things to try at all times. And, um, yeah, the HTC Vive, it's a fantastic headset, and I, I absolutely don't regret buying it, even though it's got its problems and it's not going to be the best headset for very long, I don't think. Um, or even the best headset now in, in some people's opinion. It seems like a, a new headset's announced every other day. Just today we heard about this Intel headset. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I saw that. I've not really read too much about it at the moment, but I'm going to look into that. But yeah, I mean, just this whole field, it's like anything can happen at any time. People are trying all kinds of new stuff. And I mean, like I was talking about last week, you know, the sensors. I mean, think of what's going to happen when we start getting all the stuff that has the sensors all over it. Tennis rackets, yeah. baseball bats, whatever that have sensors on it. We're going to be bringing all kind. We're going to be holding rifles and stuff, and it's going to like be programmed to have like a kick right when you fire it in the real game. I mean, think how immersive things are right now. It's going to get even more immersive. So it's just going to yeah. be crazy. But Gary, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Vivecast and for uh, being here to do this little interview. And hopefully, you know, maybe you could come on the show a few more times and, you know, we'll see how it goes. We'll just have to see how all this works as far as the recording and everything. But I'm so glad you're able to come on the show. Yeah, no, thanks uh, very much for having me on the show. It's uh, I was looking for a virtual reality podcast uh, for quite a while, so it was really good to come across your podcast, and uh, I really enjoy it. So thanks very much for having me, and I'd love to come back sometime. Oh, absolutely. We definitely want to get you back. All righty, so that's uh, Gary. Thanks a lot, man. We'll see you. Thanks very much. Cheers. Bye. All right, that was the interview with me and Gary, also known as Reckoner VR. And I do hope to have Gary on some future episodes of the Vivecast. Unfortunately, he is in the UK. 
I am here in the states, and sometimes the recording times are really hard to work out. We were actually on a very limited time frame when we recorded that interview. We only had so much time to work with, but we tried to do the best that we could. But I definitely would like to get Gary on to future episodes of the Vivecast if he is available, and we'll have to see how that works out. Alrighty, that is going to do it for episode 10 of the Vivecast. If you would like to subscribe to the podcast, you can get the podcast from iTunes. You can get the podcast from SoundCloud. You can get it on Stitcher Radio. You can get it on Google Play Podcasts. And that's basically going to do it for episode 10. We'll see you guys next week. Later.